Today's message is titled, The Danger of Forgotten Vows. I want to give you some introductory material that has four parts to it, and then the main course is three parts, so that if you're outlining on the back of the bulletin, you will know where we're going. Put introduction, one, two, three, four, and then after that, one, two, three, and then you will be able to remember this message. In our last message, Jacob was given a new name, chapter 32, verse number 28. Thy name shall be called no more Jacob but Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. Now we would rejoice in that, right? That's good news. Then I ask you why the next chapter begins with Jacob. The angel said, you will be called henceforth Israel. For with God you have prevailed. You begin reading chapter 33, as Pastor Larson did this morning, and it says, Jacob, the old name, not Israel, the new name. And further it says, Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked which is one of the big indicators of where he was spiritually. He was walking by sight and not by faith. He lifted up his eyes and looked. Now the four things that are in the introduction of importance are these. First of all, he bows before Esau instead of facing him as man to man. He bows before his brother and he arranges his family and his herds so that they will appear to be greater than they really are. He's still living under Jacob in the flesh, bargaining with the enemy again, scheming to get by. Had not God promised to see him through? Had not God promised to be his bulwark, his fortress, then why is he bowing before his brother rather than looking him eye to eye and arranging to impress and scheming to get by? Secondly, he lies to Esau about the flocks. If men should overdrive them one day, he said, all the flocks will die. Esau wanted to travel with Jacob, but Jacob worms his way out of it and travels in the opposite direction and lies in order to bring this about. And if you will look at chapter 35, verse 29, you will notice that Jacob and Esau never meet again until they bury their father Isaac. They never see each other again until the death of their beloved dad. The third thing I notice in the introduction is that he builds a house in Sukkot, east of the Jordan. Gideon's band of 300 tired and hungry men, after their mighty victory over the Midianites, stopped at Sukkot. The reason they stopped there was to get bread. 
but those of Sukkoth would not give them bread. Later, Gideon returned to that city and slew the men of the city because of not acknowledging Gideon's faithful band. Jacob knew about this incident in Israel past. It was a bad choice to build a house in Sukkoth, east of the Jordan, walking in the flesh by sight and not by faith. The fourth thing I see is that he moves again after that experience and pitches his tent toward Shechem, somewhat like Lot did in chapter 13, verse 12, when he pitched his tent toward Sodom. You know it is important where you live. This put the family of Jacob in a very vulnerable position. It was not long until his daughter Dinah investigated the city. It's in chapter 34. Dinah was ruined because she walked the streets of Shechem. For Shechem the Hivite saw her and defiled her. Jacob's sons learned to lie just like their father before them. So they went before the men of Shechem and said, If you will have the sacred rite of circumcision like we, then you can have our women, we can co-inhabit, we can live together, and our herds will be your herds, and your herds our herds, and we will be one big happy family. But you have to take the rite of circumcision. They agreed. And on the third day, when the men of Shechem were sore, and unable to defend themselves, the sons of Jacob swept down on that city and slew all the men of Shechem who had been circumcised. They lied, just like their father before them. So not only do we have the defilement of Dinah, but we have the sin of the sons of Jacob, all because Jacob pitched his tent toward Shechem, now, when did all of this begin? It began when Jacob failed to live up to his new standing with God. It is dangerous, you see, to forget vows made with the Lord. Thirty years before, he had made a vow at Bethel that the Lord would be his God and a tenth of everything would be the Lord's We brought that to your attention when we were in chapter 28. It says Jacob vowed a vow. Now at this point in his life, he seems to have forgotten all about Bethel, all about what he had said before God. This vow is completely out of his mind at this point in his life. He settles down in Shechem. That's the problem. You all know what a vow is. I wear on my finger a wedding ring. It is the symbol of a vow I made on June 6, 1953. I intend to keep that vow. I made a vow when I was a boy of 17 
to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ as long as God would give me breath. I intend to keep that vow. All of us, I don't think I could have to say or would have to say it any other way. All of us have made vows. Young men and young women, men and women have made vows. The question of this service today is, are we faithful to those vows? Let us look at the main outline now. Number one, the danger of negligence. In Hebrews, the writer of Holy Writ said, we are not to neglect this great salvation. Negligence is a terrible thing, and we are all guilty of it. We are all procrastinators, putter-offers, neglectors, and somehow we have grown up to think that it doesn't matter all that much. God understands. If that be where you're living, I trust you will change your mind before we leave. Some of you have made resolutions during times of trouble. We're good at that, aren't we? God, if, if you will heal me, if you will spare me. We call them battlefield vows. Vows made in sickness. Vows made during times of danger. God, if, God, if, then I will. And God does and we don't. The danger of negligence. We are apt to forget vows when God has fulfilled his side of the vows. Jacob is an example. He settled down. His flocks were complete. His family was comfortable. Why remember? Everything was nice for Jacob. He had had his encounter with Esau. That fear was behind him. He had everything he needed, and he proceeded to forget to be negligent of the vow he had made with God. Someone has said there are two kinds of dreamers in the world, those who dream while they're asleep and those who dream while they're awake. The men who make dreams come true haven't been asleep. Columbus dreamed of a new world. Missionaries, scientists, inventors, statesmen, churchmen have dreamed dreams and then have addressed themselves to making those dreams come true. The church in which you worship today is the fulfillment of someone's dream. What about your dream? Your vow to God? Maybe it came to you years and years ago a glimmer of hope, a dream that you could be well, that your marriage could be together, that you could have that business, or you could build that house and use it for the glory of God. 
or that during missions convention there was a dream to give a thousand dollars during this year for missions and the preaching of the gospel to the ends of the earth or during our stewardship drive for our new building God gave you a dream of $20,000, but you promptly forgot you're not working on it. You have ceased to dream that dream. The men who make dreams come true haven't been asleep. Jacob, what about your dream of being totally new, of being at Bethel, the house of God? What about your dream? Maybe your dream was I determined before God to guard my temper, to sweeten my flow of speech, to change my way. Did you remember that this week when you flew off the handle? Maybe you dreamed of quitting your dreadful habits, habits that are ruining your health and your life. How much money and time did you spend this week on those habits? You forgot the dream. Dangerous to forget those dreams. Those vows that we make before God as he gives us enlightenment and understanding. James Howell said an acre of performance is worth the whole world of promise. And I want to underscore that truth today from the life of Jacob. An acre of performance is worth the whole world of promise. There is danger in negligence, danger in forgetting, danger in letting go that dream, that vow that was committed before God. Secondly, let us look at the reasons for negligence. There are four of them I want to share with you very rapidly. The first is we are more resolved to make sacrifices in the beginning of our Christian walk than we are afterwards. I want to say something to you today. We have numbers of people in this room that have known the Lord for a long time. You know that you are at a dangerous point in your Christian walk. It is easier to make sacrifices in the beginning of our Christian walk than it is afterwards. The fire of a new life in Christ stirs us, but then we settle down at Sukkot or Shechem. If you don't believe that, try walking into this building and going the different direction than you usually turn and coming down a different aisle and sitting in a different seat next Sunday. Just see if your body will do it. We get comfortable where we have been used to meeting with God. We get so comfortable that we say, good sermon, pastor, it was perfect. For the fellow who sat next to me. We can get so comfortable at Shechem or at Sukkoth and forget the vows that we made before God. We're not really contributing all that much to winning our world with the best news 
that there is available today. We're just few warmers. We're sitting. We're not sacrificing. We're not at the altar of prayer. We are not visiting. We are not doing what God has given us such wonderful opportunities to do. It is easy to settle back and be comfortable after the original fire has been burned on the altar of our hearts. Oh, may God stir up the embers in every one of us today. And those that have been saved 90 years or 90 minutes will have the same glow and the same fervor because Jesus is the same to all of us. And he needs us. But one reason for negligence is we have been in the way so long. Second reason is we often make our promises in our youth and lose them later in personal pursuits. Oh, how I see this so often. It was illustrated to me in a story I read of an affluent man in New York City who would not attend church with his wife and his family. He said, I don't believe Christ is immortal skeptical about the church and bitter toward ministers. One Sunday, his family, as usual, went off to church and he remained home alone. When he was there in the quiet of his home by himself, he heard a voice, literally. And that voice said, You wretch! You deny your God! Do you remember 36 years ago today you promised God that if he spared your life, you would serve him? It so shook him, he went to his diary, thumbed back through the years, and to his dismay, he discovered that exactly 36 years ago that day, he was in a fierce battle in the war and promised God he would become a Christian if spared through the fight. He was young. He got out of the service. He got into business. He became very affluent, very noticeable on the social circle, and forgot that incident on the Lord's Day so shook him and so affected him that soon he made a public testimony of his faith in Jesus Christ. God spoke to him and said, You wretch, you deny your God. Do you remember? 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 But at some point in your youth, you said, God, if I will. Pursuits often lead us far away from the vow. The third reason is we often feel a fading away of the impressions of need. When the sickness is no longer there, the disease is healed by the grace and power of God. When the family situation is reconciled and we don't face the need anymore, it is so easy for us in the fading away of the impression of need to neglect 
forget. And that was Jacob's case, you see. Esau had met him. He had resolved that situation. He had all he needed, and the reason for calling on God wasn't there now like it was before. The impression of need had waned. Could it be that you are here today in that situation? The fourth reason is that we're often surrounded by doubt and idolatry. Jacob had a family that now cherished their idols. The Bible tells us so. To go back to Bethel would mean giving all of those idols up. That's difficult. That's tough. Now here in church with the sound of the organ and the preaching of the word and the beautiful music, and the fellowship of believers, it's easier, but we can't stay here, as I pointed out before in these messages. You're going to go, have to go back to where the idols are, where the doubt is. Some of you have to go home to unbelievers, an atmosphere that is totally against what you're feeling in church this morning. Easy to forget when you're faced with that surrounding. Some of you will go back to this syndrome of the soap opera. Tomorrow the TV set will be on, Tuesday it will be on, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all of that garbage will be filling your mind, filling your heart. You can't miss the soap opera. That's an idol, and it's difficult to turn from that idol that we have used for so long. But I am saying in the name of God, if that be your idol, go home and sell that set. God, I make this vow. I will no longer be tied to this idol. I will be free and get rid of this idol in the name of the Lord. But it's hard. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. But it's right. Your idol may have become your business that God has blessed you with. But I may say to you, on the authority of God's word and with the voice of a prophet, if you make that your idol and your God, someday you will be sorry you ever saw that business. It may cost you your eternal soul. My friend, don't let it happen. We're often surrounded by doubt and idolatry. What's the answer? Chapter 35, verse 1, God called him back, back to Bethel, back to the altar, back to the house of God, back to the place of the vision, back to the place of the vow. I am asked so often by people, Pastor, how do I get back? You go right back to where you started. That's what you do. Go back. Back to Bethel, back to where you felt his power, back to where you made the vow. That's where to begin today. Go back to Bethel. When you have backslidden, there is nothing else to do but go back to the place of dedication and renew your vows. But notice what Jacob had to do first. In verse 4, he had to clean house, and they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hands, and all their earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. Strange gods had to be buried. The only place for sin is in the grave. 
Men have the responsibility of cleaning house. When Jacob made up his mind, his family followed him. Hallelujah. So many of you are fearful that if you go back to your place of making a vow, that others will criticize, others will not be with you. Listen, when he decided, his whole family was with him. The responsibility is an individual one before God. You make up your mind. You clean your house and the family will be there. They may be just waiting for you to make that choice. Don't be afraid. God is God. He will not fail you. He will be with you. Don't vacillate. Do what God has made known to you today. What are the essentials to victory for any of us? Surrender. Bury the idols under the oak. Those are the reasons for negligence. Now let's look lastly at the reward of remembering. Look at verse 9, chapter 35. Oh, do I love this verse. I have it underlined in red in my Bible. This is the line. And God appeared again unto Jacob. Hallelujah. The renewed appearance of God to a wayward soul. A man who had lost his way. Not only that, but he reaffirms the name Israel with Jacob. And he is known as Israel after this day, forever. Israel. God appeared unto Jacob again. How important to reaffirm the old experiences in a new way. How long has it been since you felt the joy of salvation, the fire of the Holy Spirit in your heart? Those of you who have had the glorious biblical experience of speaking in other tongues, according to the book of Acts, as the Spirit gave you utterance, how long has it been since you have been lost in worship and prayer to God in the Spirit? How important to reaffirm the old experiences in a new way. We do that when we come again into his house as we have today. We reaffirm our position in God Jacob built an altar again. God met him there where he vowed at the beginning. God appeared unto Jacob again. Isn't that glorious? And he'll do it for you, every one of you. Now I must be honest to Scripture and say it did not give him a panacea thereafter. The next thing that happened to Jacob was the death of his beloved Rachel. In childbirth, as Benjamin was born, Rachel died. He loved her so much. Why had his beloved been taken? He had renewed his vow with God and had put God in his rightful place. Great spiritual experiences are not security against the sorrows and trials of life. The promise is, I will be with you. Psalm 23, which we love to quote, says it so well. When we walk through the valley, I will be with you. And that's what God will be to all of us. 
coming to Christ and giving him first place does not necessarily say that everything is going to be rosy. We'll never have a problem. The next thing that happened to him was a huge problem. Last week I mentioned Bill Popejoy in his book, Goodness, You're Following Me. Nine cancer surgeries when he wrote this book. He said, we have been led to believe that only good things happen to the believer and we buoy up our positivity by singing gustily, something good is going to happen to you this very day. And our twisted thinking conjures pictures of money, fortune, laughter, and wealth, and health. But it just ain't so. My good friend Charles Crabtree, who pastors in San Jose, was laid up this past week with the gout, very painful in his ankle. Wednesday night, he was wheeled into church in a wheelchair and spoke from behind a table to his people, and he said, I've been practicing positive confession. There's only one problem, he said, it doesn't work. And I am a positive person, and I confess with my mouth constantly what I believe. But if I'm going to be a faithful pastor to you, I'm going to have to tell you that if you get back to Bethel today, the next thing that might meet you is a horrible problem. But I want you to know that my great God is going to be right there with you, and you are going to have one of the greatest victories that you have ever known in your life as you put your faith in God and don't lose sight of God. And God appeared again unto Jacob. I stake my claim right there. God will be there. You will come through gloriously. Romans 8:28 is still in the book. All things work together for good, not that they are all good, but they work for good if we love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Now, Psalm 116, verse 14, I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Will you? I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. The altar service is so important to us now that we move toward God, that we get back to Bethel. And as I'm speaking to you, the Holy Spirit is revealing to you that which you promised way back there that you have neglected and you need to get back to that altar. And I'm asking you to do it today in the presence of all the people. God will meet you there. It will be as it was with Jacob. Ecclesiastes 5, 4, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5 made a vow. We will give this property to the Lord. When it was sold, they brought part of it, trying to fool God's servant. The Holy Spirit smote them with death 
because of their inconsistency. And it's a reminder to all of us that God does not put up with our folly and our foolishness forever. If we have made a vow, he expects us to keep that vow. Psalm 6, verse 5, Thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Then in verse 8, So will I sing praise unto thy name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. The Bible has a lot to say about vows. I have come to this pulpit to tell you today there's a great danger in forgotten vows. But there's great reward in remembering them. This week I received in the mail, as I do every week, the bulletin from People's Church in Fresno, California. My good friend D.L. Johnson pastors that great body of believers. Pastor Johnson wrote, Last week I buried Mrs. Mary Weems. It brought back many memories. Floyd Weems, the son of Mary and Jake, came to the old church selling cleaning supplies, whereupon Mr. Eric Seberg witnessed to him about Christ. Not only did he accept the Lord, but as a result, his mother, his father, his brother, his sister, and her seven children plus a number of others are a part of this great fellowship. The power of remembering vows. A man who met Jesus Christ, who was delivering cleaning supplies to a church, made a vow to God that he would live for him and witness for him. He led his mother and his father and his brother and his sister to Christ and their seven children and many others are a part of people's church because of a vow. As Pastor Cole comes to this pulpit today, God has made very real to his heart that the reason some of the children are away and the reason some things are turning sour in your life because you have forgotten vows that you made before God. You have lost your witness. You have lost your power. You have lost your direction. You have settled down at Shechem or at Sukkoth, and God is not happy with you there. He wants you back at Bethel, where he can put the blessing on you and upon your children and their children. And he can use you for his eternal glory and his eternal purpose. It all has to do with vows. Whether they be spiritual or material. Whether they be family or individual. When we make a vow with God, he expects us to remember. Will you let me help you in these next few seconds? to a release of power and new life and wholeness in God. Stand with me all over the auditorium.